and welcome to Lore Watch, a roundtable freeform discussion about lore in our favorite states of media. I'm your host, Joe Perez, one of several lore-focused folks from Blizzard Watch, and I've got my stupendous co-host with me today, Matt Rossi. How are you doing today, Matt? Um, I'm still kind of tired. I, I did a... Well, we were both involved. Uh, I did a one-shot Exalted game for the Blizzard Watch folks yesterday. You want to talk lore, man. Someday we'll do an Exalted thing. Jeez, the lore in that game. Uh, but I, I just... The adventure itself wasn't the hard part, but it was coming up with people's characters. I had forgotten about how much work storyteller system character creation can be. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, yeah, I'm still a little wiped afterwards. I didn't get a ton of sleep, uh, partially because when you sent this email, I was about to go to bed for like a few hours, but then I was like, I got to research some of these questions and make sure I've got up-to-date information. <laughs> meanwhile, so. meanwhile, I was embodying the literal blizzard watch, uh, of our, of our namesake, uh, as in Western New York, we just got pummeled, pummeled with, uh, some parts of our, our city got hit with eight feet of snow within 24 hours. Yeah. It sounds like the good old fashioned or Easter thing happening. Yeah. More or less. It's one of those things where well, it's from you. It's the lake, right? It, yeah. So right. Because of the, and I don't want to get too far into this, but it's Western New York exists in this really like weird pocket. And why we're known for our snow isn't because we get a lot of snow. Usually it's because of events like this, because we have Lake Erie on one side and Lake Ontario above us. We are smack dab in the middle of it in this little pocket of land that's created between the two. And so what winds up happening is if those lakes aren't frozen over, uh, you get basically the pressure front and the, the weather front from both of them tugging and pulling. And it causes snowstorms to sit in that pocket because of the two fronts meeting. So if you get something like this, when that's exactly what happened, we had this, this stream of snow come through the area that couldn't move anywhere. So it just sat over the Southern part of the, the city. Um, it, it's very interesting. And one day we'll talk about like snow bands and stuff like that. Cause unless you've lived in an area with snow bands, it's, it is weird. It is one of those things where you could like, be driving and everything's perfectly clear and sunny. And then literally you hit a wall of snow. It is, it is a weird, weird geographic place, but that's not what you're here to talk about or hear us talk about. Although if you are, I mean, hit me up. I'm always happy to talk about what, what the weird weather stuff that happens. Yet another podcast. <laughs> Yet another podcast. Uh, but you're here to, to hear about, well, in this particular case, we've taken a bunch of questions and that we're going to be answering today. Uh, and they're all about Dragonflight and some other things in there, but mostly Dragonflight related stuff. Uh, if you have questions for our podcast, this one or any of the ones we do, which we have a lot of them, uh, you can send those into podcast at blizzardwatch.com. Uh, singular, not not plural, podcast, singular. Uh, specify what show it's for, and uh, we'll try to make sure that it gets on there. Um and if you don't want to send us an email, you can hit us up on Discord. We have a channel for our Patreon supporters as a way of saying thank you for continuing to support us. And it's Patreon Q and Podcast Questions channel. Uh, you can go ahead and we tend to look there first. And then if uh, you can't support us on Patreon, we understand. Uh, you can also hit us up on the Q and Podcast Questions channel. Uh, and again, support comes in all ways, shapes, and forms. If you can't support us monetarily, sharing our products, uh, making sure that episodes get get liked or, or shared with your friends, uh, it does actually help quite a bit. Uh, so without further ado, we're going to go ahead and well, kind of kick off things with a question from our good old friend Tetsemi. Based on the revelation in the Horde pre-patch questline, slight spoiler, I guess, if you haven't done the pre-patch questline, uh, Lorthamar and Thorissa exchange vows. This led me down a whole rabbit hole of Night Elf, Nightborn, Blood Elf lineage, uh, overly simplified in the interest of time. But you have a delineation where you have the high, uh, the Highborn, which were 
uh, upper class sect of the ancient night elf civilization, high elves, uh, descended from night elf highborn, uh, and then blood elves are physiologically the same, uh, and their difference between high and blood elves is only political, more or less. Uh, void elves and void infused blood elves, nightborn, are no longer true night elves and have evolved by the nightwell into a unique elven species. So does this mean that any offspring from the above-mentioned union, which uh, Lothamar is a blood elf and uh, Thalrissa is a nightborn, if you didn't know that, uh, would be a unique form of elf as well, taking on traits from the highborn and nightborn? And is mana addiction additive or multiplicative? And no, I'm not asking for a new playable race either, uh, just to cut that discussion off before we get started. Uh, I mean, we're always going to say more playable races or customization is always welcome, but I'm going to shut up and let Matt talk because it's elves. Uh, well, first off, not both of those groups had mana addiction. Uh, the Blood Elves had mana addiction. The Highborn were literally, they weren't just addicted to magic. It provided all of their sustenance. Yeah, it's kind of the whole point was, of the Archidor quest, right? Yeah. It provided their nutrients. It provided their hydration. They didn't even, they ate it. They ate stuff made from it. They drank stuff made from it in every way. It was permeating through their beings. The Arcanador quest that Joe just mentioned, uh, pretty long to explain the whole thing, but in part, the Arcanador was a, the result of magical experimentation with the pre, the precursors of druids and the the mages of the of the of the night elves, not the not the night born. This goes before them, but the Arcanador was the result of their experimentation in creating a magical plant that produced magical fruits uh the fruit of the arcanador is capable of curing you of from what the the highborn slash nightborn went through after their ten thousand years under the dome that that covered suramar now could that also cure mana addiction probably mm -hmm. but mana addiction is a pale shadow of what the nightborn were going through uh it, it's bad and it can really mess you up but the Nightborn were worse by an order of magnitude. It was it was extinction for their species take, they were looking at. Yeah, take a look at the wretched, right? So if you want yeah. if you want really want to go in there, there are there are blood elf wretched. They existed before we went to Azuna and and saw sort of everything that happened there. But your they're sort of you can see them wasting away. You can see what happens with the the absence of that sort of sustenance. And it wasn't like the, the wretched were sort of in an area where they couldn't find food, right? There's plenty of food. There's plenty of game to hunt. There was plenty of, of herbs and plants that they could have eaten, but that doesn't sustain them the same way, right? That's what Matt's talking about. You, you, the, the night elves, the, the night born were, were basically... It was all or nothing at that point. Their bodies had shifted yeah. so much. The, the the blood elf wretched could continue to exist. They could continue to live. They wouldn't be happy. They'd be in a horrible state, but they weren't dying. They were just ravaged. The nightborn wretched were losing everything and they would die. And it didn't matter if they ate food or drank water. You, you see it with the, the guy who ends up kind of being your little companion oh, yeah. in the, in the uh, Azuna quests, the blue dragonflate stuff. I can't remember his name, unfortunately, but he's, he's played by Winnie the Pooh. Um, the Winnie the Pooh voice actor also plays him. He starts going blind and, and losing his mind as you are bringing him around with you. And he, and at the end, he like literally just lays down and dies. Uh, Runus like, the Shamed, by the way. 
Thank you. Ruinously shamed. He, in the end, he lies down and just dies right in front of you because he just can't continue. That's the fate that eventually would come for all of them. Uh, Thalysra would have died. The mm-hmm. same thing that happened to him would have happened to her had we not got the Arcanador going. So that's, I just want to make that point. So these two things weren't the same thing. Um, so that's point one. Point two, are we going to get some kind of unique kind of elf out of this? I mean, I don't know if they have children. Uh, they could have in three years. Maybe. I don't know how long elf gestation is. I'm sorry, people <laughs> who think I should know this, but are, I don't. We are, we are not experts on that. Maybe we can we can invite uh, Steve Denauser on here to talk about the biology yeah. of elves. He, he can come on and tell me how long an, an elf pregnancy is and how long it is in different versions of elves. I don't have that information, but regardless, I would argue that they'd be they'd be as much a unique form of elf uh, as any elf from two different lineages. Like there's differences between all these different kinds of elves, but for that matter, we can look at trolls. Yeah. There are differences, significant differences between different kinds of trolls. And if a, a, let's say a, a, uh, an Amani troll and a Zandalar troll had a child, that child would neither be Amani nor Zandalari. They'd be something else, but they'd also still be a troll. I don't, I don't want people to go around like I want to stay away from racial essentialism because racial essentialism ends up being a good doorway into like racism. Every elf is unique. They're all unique. Every single individual elf is somewhat different because I mean, look at this way. Dathramar Sunstrider was a highborn. Yeah. Not a high elf. Mm -hmm. He was a highborn and he became a high elf. It's possible for elves to change in their lifetime. Yeah, there, there's something here that I want to kind of point out that I think is, I don't want to say forgotten. Okay, go ahead. Elves are very much like something we've been talking about for weeks. Uh, and at this point, so are essentially trolls, as are most native uh, creatures or denizens of Azeroth. Dragons, uh, we've been talking about how they sort of can imbue themselves and sort of evolve based around the energies that are around them, uh, that they can take them and be molded by them or ingest them, which is why we have the elemental dragons, is why we have the the, the, the particular dragon flights that were able to be raised the way they were. Elves exhibit that same sort of behavior. It's sort of like almost a rapid evolution is really what it boils down to. Because don't forget, elves came from where? They came from trolls. They're specifically dark trolls. They became, they came from dark trolls. Um, trolls have exhibited a very similar, uh, aptitude for, uh, basically elemental acclimation. So there's this thing where we like to, to put these lines between the elven races, but at the end of the day, the elves sort of just exist as elves and adapt to the environment that they are in over time and freed from the shackles of, the the arcane addiction of being part of the Nightwell, Thorissa may very well start to smooth out and sort of, uh, you know, adapt to where her new lifestyle is because the Nightwell no longer exists anymore, right? And mm-hmm. even even in the evolution of Thorissa, when we cure them with, with her with the Arkandor, she gets bigger, she gets stronger, she looks more like a Zandalari troll as far as stature goes. Uh, she stands at least a head above Lorthamar. So, and that, that evolution was almost instantaneous from the ingestion of the Arkandor fruit. And, it's and be- it should be pointed out also that Thalystra was a highborn. Yes. And she looked just like a night elf because highborn were just night elves. They were just a sect 
of night elves. They were a group of night elves that were living as royalty and had powerful magic taught to them. They weren't physically different from, say, any other night elf at the time. And we see her in, in one of the trailers. We see her go from that elf to the person she becomes when she's in Suramar for 10,000 years to the, 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 the wretched she becomes and finally to her current form. And that's one lifetime because yeah. elves live so long and can live even longer when given to the right exposure. They can change within their lifetime much more so than other races. This is this is part of why, like when Matt and I were talking about, uh, wow, God, it's been months now at this point when we did the episode all about elves, uh, an expansion about elves, a, an expansion about like reclaiming what they what they were and sort of unifying themselves, because we're already at the point where Dragonflight is making it a, a very a very key component of it. If you've done the, the pre-expansion event where they don't want war between the the factions on their island. They want everybody to be working together because that's what they demand, right? So we're not going to have a faction war. We're not going to have battle for Azeroth. We're not going to have people, you know, that being played up. And at this point, factions are sort of like this, I don't want to say an antiquated uh, ideal, but they've served their purpose and they can serve their purpose politically. But from an actual story standpoint, they're not necessarily needed anymore. And so having an idea where like the elves were to come together and sort of have an elven homeland again is not, it's not something that's unattainable. And if they were to do that, they would potentially start to evolve into a more, I don't want to say homogenous lifestyle. Well, you could also see one of the things you can end up seeing is elves who become physically similar due to, as you're pointing out, lifestyle stuff that has nothing to do with what political faction they're in. Mm-hmm. Like you could have tall, dark skinned knight adapted elves on both sides of, of the Horde Alliance division, because some of the Nightborn aren't going to particularly care about magic or they might actually start going towards their night. They have night elf ancestors. Like yeah. their grandparents would have been night elves. You know, it wasn't that long ago for them. So they could start taking up that way of life. Meanwhile, the the highborn mages that currently live amongst the night elves might go train with the nightborn, who are the only ones who have any kind of shared life experience with them. And you could see that becoming something you see amongst elves on both sides of things. Elves are odd that way. And um, I mean, we we mentioned the void elves in this, this question, mentions the void elves. Void elves are... Yeah, you can say they're void-infused blood elves, but they're just, they're really void-infused high elves. Mm-hmm. And because blood elves and high elves, like, as you said, is basically mostly a political distinction. Um, so what's the difference there? There isn't one. Uh, the void energy is the only difference. What does that mean to an elf? What does that mean to them, to the void elves? They're certainly not physically separated enough that they couldn't pursue relationships. Can they breed? Can they have children together? What would those children be like? Is the void elf infusion hereditary? We have no idea. There's no, there's no void elves in the lore who've had children since becoming void elves. Which that might change, so, right? But we yeah, don't know. It might, but right now we don't know. There's a lot that we don't really know about this, but I don't. Th- I think it's a little soon to think about uh, Thalissa and Lorthamar's children if they had any being some kind of new super elf. They just be new elves. Yeah, you know, and they, they'd be an, they'd be a product of the environment that they're in. Like, where where yeah. is that child being raised? Is the child being raised 
in Suramar. They'd probably be more likely to take on effects of that environment. Uh, and we've ch- even seen, we've seen uh, a couple of different, we've seen three canonical lore half elves, half human, half elves. Uh, Ronan and uh, Varisa? Ronan and Varisa's two children yep. and uh, um, um, Alaria and. Turalian. Oh my God, thank you. I couldn't remember his name. Uh, their son. Mm-hmm. Um, who and all three of them look like elves. Uh, the elf bred very true in all three of them. They all look like elves. They all seem to be aging like elves. There doesn't seem to be anything particularly human about them. The elf essence seems to be dominant, which, which can also be an artifact of just being part of you know Azeroth in general. Like I, I said, the one thing that's really interesting about I don't want to go complete sidetrack, but all the races of Azeroth seem to have a natural affinity for channeling energy in some capacity, even humans, which is why we have void priests and warlocks so easily be a thing. There's Uh, stuff coming up. One of the questions, if we get to it, I don't know if we're going to get to it. One of the questions that we might get to really touches upon all this. Yeah. And I want to get to there at some point because I think it, because even it's, it's a theme that is present in the coming expansion as well. And Mm -hmm. I want to make sure that's perfectly out there. Absolutely. I would agree. But let's move on to the next one. Unless there's anything else you want to add here. Uh, the problem is that there's a lot I would like to add, but it would take up the entire show. So go ahead. All right. We're going to move on to one from KTS stories. Uh, <laughs> uh, we're not thumb wrestling over this one. Uh, we're nope. told, we're told Ember Thal's Warren was destroyed. The other two groups are menders and talons slash warders, which could correspond to healer and DPS. I do admit warders would say more tank than DPS to me, but putting aside it for a moment, do you think that maybe Ember Thal's lost Warren is the path to an eventual tank spec. No, I think that they are never going to give this, the uh, Drak Theory Evokers a tank spec because it would be ruinously difficult to try and design a tank spec after you've made the class and designed the other two specs and gotten it into the game. Uh, only one class has ever had a new spec added to it after the, the class was introduced and that class is dwarf is dwarves yes the dwarf class red box thank you very much yeah. the class is druids and it wasn't necessarily a new class from scratch it was literally taking one previous specialization and dividing it yeah Fer- feral back in the day was was both guardian and cat um it was both DPS and tank. You just had to spec a very specific way into it. So eventually they just broke it out because it made more sense. Thematically, though, and story-wise, I think that may be why we only see what we see from the Drakthir. And it's it's going to be interesting to see how that goes out because Drakthir were created very specifically to fight against the elemental dragons. Uh, they were they were basically designed to be a strike force for it, and you are right in sort of your you're thinking about it where they definitely were uh, set up to be an adventuring party, right? Have roles that filled everything in between, which is why even their the healing spec and DPS spec are so similar. They seem to be based around a um, squad concept. Yes, they're less like an army, like a legion or what have you, and more like a bunch of Call of Duty players. Yeah. And I'm not using that to be, I'm not trying to be sarcastic here, but I can't think of the proper, you could call it a, like the war fighting principle where you have a group of say five to six people 
uh, each dedicated to a specific role. And then you have a bunch more of them and each of them has their own little, you know, they can break up, they can scatter, they can use the, the terrain to their advantage. They can fight like gorillas. And when you need them to be an army army, you just bring them all together and give them like a unit, a unit commander. Um, that seems to be the goal here. I am not a hundred percent sure. I honestly feel like the way they were designed, it feels like they were intended to have at least one black dragon around with them. Yes. And in the case of the big time we've seen them used, that black dragon was Neltharian himself. Uh, and Neltharian, it seems like he was the, the general of the group, but also the muscle. Like he was the one that when everything went bad, he's the one who dealt with the situation. Um, so I'm not sure how they were des- how they would have tried to organize. Yeah, it, it's interesting, but I think we're going to find out a little bit more about that as far as far we we start breaking into like the labs and start to actually see what like the essentially the design notes were from Neltharian, what his intentions were. Um, because we've talked about this with the dragon flights in the past before, where they all seem to have very specific roles. If you were to break out the five flights in sort of uh, illustrate what they were in context of an adventuring party with the black dragons, as Matt's pointing out, being very much the aggro tanks, right? They're the ones that are supposed to be uh, tough and, and made out of the, the, the same material that the deep places are and have that hardened skin and be sort of at the forefront. And even before he went down the the path of corruption, Neltharion was already like bigger than the other ones, not massively. So, but enough that he was considered like burly, right? Whereas yeah, he was, he was the, he was the brawny one. Uh, Malagos Al- was, you know, the, the clever one. Uh, Alex Straza was, you know, the forceful one. Like her personality was the strongest. Uh, Ysera was the dreamy one who did like, you know, all sorts of empathy and how to communicate with people and how to contact them. And, Nosdormu was the guy who's really, really into like, you know, getting high and thinking about the universe. And, and um, in context, in a context of like roles, like you had Neltharian essentially as the tank, you had uh Ysera as the healer, you had Alexstraza as the hybrid DPS slash healer, you had uh Malagos as the DPS, and then you had uh Norsdomu as sort of like the controller CCer of the group. Yeah. Right. They all balance mm-hmm. each other out. Like Norsdormu kind of has aspects of a rogue. And kind of has aspects of of a, of a caster uh, into what he brought into the group. You see that if you read the uh, Dawn of the Aspects, uh, you actually get to see a bit of that. Yeah, but we'll probably find out a little bit more to bring it back to the question, a little bit more about... It's also uh, interesting, and you're right, and I'm not trying to interrupt you. I no, just, you're fine. This just occurred to me. There's not... There's multiple colors of Drakthir. Yes. Notharian didn't just make bra- black dragon Drakthir. There's multiple colors. I think the only one that you don't see in there like their power set. Like you see Alex Straza type powers, you see Nosdormu type powers, uh, you see Malagos type powers. Um I would have to argue the only one you don't see is anything from Ysera. No, no, you do. Absolutely the healing stuff is from I was Ysera. gonna say that because the, the the bloom and, and things like that is absolutely Ysera. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm sorry I was I've played one of them, so I should have known that immediately. But it, it does make you wonder. I mean, the only one I think you don't get much from is the Black Dragons. And, and even then, like, I think it's like a very minimal amount, right? Like, I think there's yeah. like one or two abilities that harken back to the Earth. But it's 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 fascinating. And it's also, they thematically and mechanically, it also fits, too, with the Drakthir having uh, access to essentially a bloodless slash heroism, whatever you want to call it, 
um, where it is multicolored. It is we call it the rain. We we've been calling it rainbow lust in raid because it is literally a, a spell effect that is all the colors of the dragon flights. It's the I just wish you flights. I just wish you could have heard yourself when you said that. I know. <laughs> we've been calling it rainbow lust. <laughs> I'm like imagining that like the rainbow bright character who's just <laughs> too adult for me, man. I'm out. I'm tapping. Uh, but yeah, it's 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 going to be interesting to see sort of what that what that lost Warren was because Emberthal hasn't really talked about it. And also, story wise, and, and this is slight spoilers if you haven't done the Drakthir starting area, um, there are members of the Drakthir who refuse to leave the dragon isles, but also those that refuse to bow down to uh, any, any aspect ever again. And so we don't really necessarily know what that, what that Warren was doing or those that follow him, them uh, were doing or what their, their primary focus was because at the time of us rediscovering them, everything is chaos. Everything is falling apart. Everything is in peril. So there's not really time to sit there and say, yes, I was once a champion of the shield and, and all this other stuff. Uh, you get little tiny bits and pieces. And now we're going back to try to reclaim this land for the, for not just the Drakthir, but the dragons as well. Things are complicated, right? We're not going to, we don't know necessarily everything, but we will probably uncover it. We'll probably start uncovering the lost Warrens. I would be surprised if at some point one of the quests doesn't take us into there. Maybe a future content update or something where we go and uncover uh, whatever was lost inside of that Warren. Or maybe we discover that that Warren is now never, was never actually lost and they flip sides. Who knows? Uh, so, yeah, I don't know. But mechanically, I don't think we're going to get a tank spec added to them. Story-wise, I think where there are right now makes more sense because... Damage and healing, doing that thing seems to be exactly where their mindset is at. So, all right, I think we're going to move on to our next one. And, uh, what's sir? Go ahead. Okay. Unless you have something to add. I'm saying, okay, do it. Move, <laughs> go. Uh, all right. This one comes from our goblin friend, and this is going to be Roxy slash Padilla. Uh, this is originally as a sort of wanted a whole themed episode. We might still do that. But I think it's actually really interesting because in phase two, one of the things that was released was the new uh, dungeon, uh, Aldemon Legacy of Tear. And I'm going to ask, I'm going to add this one and uh, the one from Octomos, and I'll read Octomos's one as well. Inside of the dungeon, there was a ton of books, a ton of clickable lorry books. Uh, and we could probably dig into those a little bit later. Um, and I'm sure this is exactly what Matt is looking at for a little bit of. Uh, uh, digging deeper into certain things. Uh, but between Padilla asking specifically about the books and if we could do more about the content in there and Optimus asking uh, about this, which during the Alderman uh, legacy hold of on, tier, hold on, hold go on. ahead real fast guys. If you don't want to know stuff, you haven't gotten to do yet. Specifically, you haven't run legacy of tier yet. Skip ahead. Yeah. Cause we're going to be talking about it and it does contain spoilers. I've done this dungeon. I knew this stuff was there. I didn't remember all of it at the time. So I had to go refresh myself, but I did know it was there just as a warning. Cause, cause we don't want to spoil anything for people, but we do have to talk about this. Yes. So, all right. So the, the second question to, or at least the second part of this, which is from Optimus, 
we find out that the Titans have been lying to us and the dragons all along at the behest of Odin. No surprise there. What consequences do you think this will have for the inhabitants of Azeroth? And do you think that the aspects will respond when they find out Tyr has been using enchanted water to keep them and their kin under Titan control? Um, first of all, I'm just going to specify this. Nothing says that they're being mind controlled. Being exposed to the essence of an, a Titan just makes you more predisposed to order. It doesn't wipe your memory or make you uh, a mind, a, 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 like a slave to somebody's will. At Plus, least, I mean, Tyr never said that's not what he was doing. There's no lie. He didn't tell them, which mm -hmm. granted lying by omission. But for all we know, he, he used terminology that they as proto drakes would have understood. And he wrote to Loken as a fellow Titan watcher using the language and concepts they would have understood. Um, it, it is, we've all along been saying not just Odin, but all of them, including all the Titans aren't good just because they're orderly, just like the light isn't good just because it is the light and the void isn't evil just because it's the void, but it does. Each of these things affects the beings exposed to it. The void tends to make a world that is kind of hard to live in. If left unchecked, so does the light. Look at what we saw with the uh, the Maghar recruitment quests in Battle for Azeroth. Now, I, I personally think there's more to that story, but the light sure as heck wasn't fixing that planet. Like, it wasn't healing it. It was effectively trying to conquer it, to dominate it. And if that destroyed that world, it didn't seem to care. Uh None of these forces, these these primordial forces are meant to be in balance with each other. That's what they're supposed to be doing. That's what the first ones wanted. And, and we will be coming back to that. And we've talked before about how dragons and, in fact, other mortal creatures in Azeroth are changed by being exposed to specific energies. Like, for instance, the Well of Eternity, which is met with water infused with the magical essence of Azeroth. Mm -hmm. And it turned trolls into elves it turned murlocs into oh bloody heck the guys from Juan. the Jinyu. 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 yeah yeah uh it, it's changed multiple peoples uh and, and in a way very similar the curse of flesh to me seems like nothing so much as the void version of that like take these these predictable rock rock and metal creatures and turn them into much more diverse much more chaotic flesh to the point where Odin in these, these letters actually says life is chaos. It must be controlled. That's not a surprise. The Titans have always felt that way. The Titan watchers have always felt that way. And so it's, this is just confirmation of the, of the specific mindset of the Titans and their, those that follow them. That isn't quite our mindset. And we keep forgetting this. We keep thinking of them as the superheroes from space. But they're not. They are beings from another plane of existence that have come to our plane of existence to order it. Um, like, when it, is there something in particular you want to talk about here, Joe? Because there's a lot, so much that I'm kind of no, like stumbling, trying to trying to keep from getting it all out. There, there. One I mean, the, there's a lot here, right? There's we're we're yeah. we're and we're going to be talking a little bit more about the books and what's contained in there. I think is is this all sort of feeds into it. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's sort of the, the gist of it. And I'm going to highly recommend that if you do this dungeon, you go and find the books and you mm -hmm. read through it because it gives you context, not only of what tier is doing, not only what the watchers were doing, 
not only what the facilities might have been for, because there are some uh, references to some facilities that we've talked about in the past and some that we've speculated on. Um, it also gives you uh, just an incredible amount of, of information about the curse of flesh in general. So I'm going to let Matt just go where he wants to go with us. And we're going to go from there. Yeah. First off, I'm going to talk about, uh, I'm going to talk about Odin's edicts uh, mm -hmm. because the edicts are actually more interesting in my opinion um, than the actual uh, then the the stuff from Tyr. The stuff from Tyr is interesting. I just happened to find the Odin stuff more interesting. Odin's edicts are written from the perspective of, of Odin because he was prime designated at the time. First up, he's basically arguing that all mortal beings have to be controlled. They have to be guided, that they're not capable. They're just not as, as intelligent or capable of understanding as, say, the Titanforged. Um, this is quite the take, but it's not tremendously surprising that Odin would say this. Uh, Odin has always viewed the, the mortal beings of Azeroth as inferiors, uh, to the point where he was like completely against the dragon aspects becoming anything in the first place. Uh, so one of the things he talks about is controlling what news they're exposed to. Um, one of the things he mentions is keeping the knowledge of the first ones away from, from beings who are not, you know, Titans. Uh, that they the it would be confusing to mortals to understand that the first ones gave the titans gifts at Zareth Ordos, uh, and that's by the way the second Zareth we now know of, con of confirmed second Zareth. Uh, if we end up raiding Zareth Ordos at the end of this expansion, I will not be surprised. Mm -hmm. um, but that's he talks about how that would confuse mortals, and that the titans did create everything because they're the ones who ordered it, and that's when it was really created, which. I mean, I can see why Odin would think that, but I don't agree with him on it. It doesn't, you know, it's coming along and building a wall around something doesn't mean you made it, you know, like this, 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 uh, natural enclosure of fashion beauty. I made it when I put this wall up. No, it was here before you put the wall up. You just put a wall up. Congratulations on the wall, I guess. But in addition to that, which is interesting and very cagey in the first place, he then, he then tells them that they must also not talk about the, the achievements of the black empire. And some people have taken that to mean that the black empire wasn't as bad as we've been told, but we went to Nihilotha. We saw what the, the old God's idea of a, of a place was, and it was not good for us. So it's just as bad as we've always been told, but at the same time, that doesn't mean they didn't accomplish anything. That's the thing about it. It is absolutely propaganda on Odin's part. You don't want, you don't want anyone looking at the black empire and saying, wow, they did all these amazing things. We should learn from them because you don't want them learning from the old gods. And I mean, considering what we've already had happened with, uh, old God contamination inside of their plans already, you don't want people to know that the old gods even exist, right? Yes, like absolutely. Much of the same way. They didn't want anyone to know about the first ones because he was trying to set up the Titans as the ultimate source of authority. Not like, oh, but if you don't like what, what Papa is saying, you can go to Grandpa. For one thing, no one even knows if the uh, old the first ones are even contactable anymore. Uh, since the Sepulchre of the first ones at Zareth uh, Mortis definitely did not seem to imply that they were still around. But for that matter, we don't know what the other Zareths are like. We don't know what the Sepulchre was actually for. Uh, but going back to that idea that Odin is writing from the perspective of somebody who is obsessed with order and control. And... Yeah, we've always said from the beginning, from the first time I did Legion and met that guy, I have said that he was treating me like a Pokemon. 
continuously making me prove I was worthy to do something that he'd already asked me to do. You know, he put me in charge of this army and acted like my help, my friend, but constantly made me prove myself over and over again. Odin did not trust us from the beginning and never, and never has. And this, none of this is new. Like it's all very much from Odin's perspective, but it's very, it's not surprising, but what's interesting about it is it shows that of the, the links Odin was willing to go to keep control of mortal beings that he viewed them not as a integral part of Azeroth, but just something happening on Azeroth. Like he even talks about how the flesh and blood living things are just naturally inferior to the stone and rock Titan forged. Like he just says it. And you would know that that's how he feels because when he created his own army to defend Azeroth, it was very deliberately not made of flesh. You know, he he's grabbing spirits from the other world and sticking them into, and why did he do that? You know, there's a, there's a lot to this, but the Odin letter, the Odin edicts show the mindset of Odin who is remarkably consistent yeah. in his viewpoint. And it is, which ver- it, it is certainly something we wouldn't like. Absolutely. It's something we'd look at and go, uh, but we knew that when Algalon showed up, Yeah, when Algalon showed up, he wasn't our buddy. He was going to blow up the planet and kill all of us. And he was like, now stand back and let me, let me wipe you out. Like we would. Like, you're going to kill us. Yes, unfortunately, you all have to die. Anyway, I'm doing that. Why, why are you attacking me? You can't possibly defeat me. You, you're doomed. You should just lay down and die. They don't understand us. And they never have. None of them do. The, the Constellars, the Titan Watchers, the Titan Forged in general. Look at what happened when the, the Vrykul started well, having human children. Well, let's talk about the observational report then. Like one yeah, of the, absolutely. One of, go for it. One of, the bo- one of the books that you find inside of, of Aldemann is the, the observational report uh, labeled Earthen, right? And it's essentially the uh, Watcher Millennia, or Millennia, however you want to pronounce it, uh, is observing essentially what happens with Earthen as they've left Aldemann and gone off into the world. And they're making a note that, yes, we've seen uh, some that have succumbed to the curse of flesh. Uh, this is referred to as a malady, uh, They that they started calling themselves earthen or I'm sorry, dwarves. And they've gone off to found the dwarven society and dwarves that we know today. Uh, but one of the things that is interesting is they talk about some of the other ones, uh, which continues to be a very diverse group. And very has a lot of variants is again other earthen that decided to go elsewhere, whether it was to the north or whether it was to other places outside of the continent. Um, there was an earthen contingent uh, dispatched to investigate. They call uh, the fissure detected in sector AR nine three eight. We have to find out what that is. I don't think we've we've seen exactly which fissure that is yet. Um, in the course of their duties, the earthen began to manifest behaviors analogous to those which would be one day would they be apparent in the self-styled dwarves, despite the two groups being separated by vast swaths of time and distance. And it's interesting because they note like we have not been able to, uh, you know, determine or, or we weren't able to predict how far they would go. Um, it's really interesting, uh, because it's like in here, in, in fact, based on their origin dates, I can identify no corollary, corollary, words are hard. I'm sorry, folks, uh, at all between these populations yet while their behaviors, language and demeanor show many similarities, for example, assigning sector AR 938, the colloquial name Kaz Algal, uh, Kaz Algar, Physiologically, the two groups remain distinct. So you have ones that are dwarves and ones that are very clearly not dwarves. 
displaying similarities in language, behavior, completely separated by massive amounts of time. And it's fascinating because, again, earthen or just like the creations, the Titanic creations in general, woefully underestimated, like the depths of their their growth, the depths of what they can actually be uh, evolve into was woefully underestimated by not just the Titan watchers, but the Titans in general. Right. We when they refer to it as the curse of flesh and going back to what Matt was talking about, it's not necessarily a curse so much as it is life is chaos, right? It's not this perfectly structured, rigid, ordered thing anymore. That's why they that's why they view it as a curse. That's why it's referred to as that curse of flesh. But even without it, even without having that curse of flesh, even without being a creature that is a dwarf, they still exhibit that same sort of growth and behavior pattern. It is really, really cool. I think uh, it's also uh, invaluable that uh, data for them to very basically speculate of saying, yeah, for as much as we think we know what's going to happen, we don't know what's going to happen. So I think that was really, really neat. And there's another one uh, called the wreckage analysis report. Yes. Uh, I was and actually going to talk about that too, but go ahead. This one is interesting because first off, we don't know which prime designate it's being written to. It could be Loken. It could be Odin. There's no, yeah. there's no name given at this point. Yeah. But it's also, I'm going to just read this. I am writing to confirm that the wreckage discovered on our shores was indeed the remains of our most recent expedition to Avaloran. Uh, there was no survivors. We don't know what Avaloran is. We never heard we of do. it before. Okay. We, what we, is it? It is a prison uh, that where uh, basically creations, satanic creations that rebelled against the watchers were no, sent no, no, to. No, 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 no. That we know. I mean, literally on Azeroth right now. Oh, we, we don't, don't know. know the phys- we don't is. know where that is. Yeah, correct. Yeah. Um, this marks the third failed attempt to reach the accursed place in the time since I assigned, assumed my post. While I would not presume to question either your authority or your determination, I pray to the Titans that the rumors I hear of a fourth expedition are mere speculation rather than fact. Surely you can see that further pursuit of, this, of the heretics is folly. Yes, they must be made to answer for their crimes against Inaria and the other keepers, but their dis- but their defenses are not to be underestimated. The resources required to breach their lines are simply beyond our current capabilities, at least not without jeopardizing containment of the prisoners in our charge. Um, the prisoners in their charge would probably be the old gods. Um, Though I agree that there is risk in allowing their strength to grow, evidence suggests that the aggressive natures of these heretics will cause them to turn on one another and weaken their resolve. If we can be patient, an opportunity for retribution will represent itself. I beseech you, Prime Designate, let the fire of your wrath cool, at least for now. Its embers will be rekindled in due time. If not, I fear that I will soon be authoring yet another report of a lost expedition, its final personal, uh, its final remnants dashed upon rock and wave. With all respect, Watcher Parathalos. And we don't know, like, we, we know we think what Avaloran was, but we don't know what the heretics are heretics about. We don't know if they were ones that were just opposed to Loken, or maybe they were opposed to Odin, or maybe they were legitimately opposed to the Titans and the Watchers. Because that's that's the interesting thing about the, the previous book and this book, right? Is that mm-hmm. the they they sort of evolve. There's this evolution, and as they evolve, they sort of get consciousness and free will. Because that's one of the things that makes humans going back to what Matt was talking about with the first time we we faced Algalon, right? Mm-hmm. It's we are infinite possibility and chaos because we have free will. We don't go through a programmed response anymore. We we are the wild card, but we weren't the first wild cards. 
all of the creations that came before us, all of the things that we evolved from our ancestors that were once crafted by the Titans or crafted by the Titan Watchers, uh, they were all capable of this. And that was something that they were trying to stamp out for lack of a better term, because they didn't understand how to get it under control or they didn't understand how to deal with it because it wasn't what was programmed to happen, or at least not what they thought was programmed to happen. So it's fascinating because there could be other land masses out there of whatever this place was. It could be a pocket dimension too, because the, again, they were able to craft elemental prisons. Who knows what other prisons they were potentially have crafted, but there's a place where potentially these aren't necessarily corrupted individuals, but they're just people that didn't or, or creatures or, or creations that didn't agree with the Titans and woke up one day and said, what are you doing? Or maybe they were, they saw the corruption of Loken and were like, we don't want to be involved with old Gotti stuff. We're going to fight you. And then they get shunted away in groups and, and cells to this prison. Or they may have very well just taken themselves to it. Yeah. They may have, they may have seceded, right? Yeah, they may have abandoned what what we are being told was a prison might be something else. It may be self imposed have- exile or whatever. Yeah. So it's it's really interesting because there's a these books are really they cover a lot and they give us a lot of uh, a lot of I don't want to say weight but they cover a lot of stuff that we've speculated in the past. Uh, one of the other things that I want to talk about too is the fact that now we have a confirmation on a couple things involving Galakrond as a result of these books. Right. Yeah, and that ties into before you go, I one brief thing. We now know where Aldorus is. Yes, I was gonna that was all part of that too. Yeah. Yeah, so go ahead. So Aldorus is the halls of infusion. We know that now. Uh and it is this goes back to that progress report that Matt was talking about where uh Tyr wrote to Loken where it says, Brother Loken, as you requested, I offer the following report on the progress towards our ob- our objectives. I am pleased to say that the halls of infusion are now operational. Though the work of imbuing order magic into the wellspring is only the only beginning. I remain optimistic that the process will prove effective. They're essentially doing what naturally occurred with the well of eternity, or at least that's what we're being told here. There's a font of magical energy uh, in a water form. We've seen this a million times. Look at the veil of eternal uh, veil of eternal blossoms. Yes. Um, Where they're taking order magic and shoving order magic into this font. And as things are exposed to the water, in this case, the dragons, as they're offered the water from this, it forces that evolution. We've seen this multiple times before. We are now understanding that, Maybe what happened in the veil isn't the first time that they did this. The veil seems to be like, okay, we've got the process under control now. Here's what's going to happen. Now we understand that part of this was during the uh, early days of this, when Tyr was trying to find proto-drakes to experiment on, uh, that Keeper Tyr mentioned that the living waters, the ones that they had just poured all this magic into, became corrupted by Yog saron himself. Uh where basically Galakron drank from the font. It wasn't filtered. They didn't know that, uh, that Yogg-Saron had gotten his contamination into there. And then poof, old God gets corrupted into a giant dragon. Wonderful. That's great. And think about this. He's writing this to Loken. To Loken. Who's Loken at this point? Already under the sway? Yeah. I mean, we know that Loken was the one that Yogg-Saron was working on. And uh, where, how would Yogg-Saron know that this font existed? And where the Dragon Isles were, because the Dragon Isles, this was happening in Aldurus. Mm-hmm. This is happening on the Dragon Isles. So nowhere near where Yogg-Saron is. How did Yogg-Saron's corruption get there? Loken had already well, been I mean, taken we over, don't, right? We don't know. Like, Keep in mind that the Dragon Isles position has moved. 
That's true. Because the whole world has moved. Uh, it might have been close enough for Yogg to reach before. Uh, it might that's be fair. close enough for him to reach now. I don't know if, you know, considering he's dead, it's kind of hard to tell. But the interesting things here also are the, uh, they talk about pur- purifying the water, making sure that it's filtered. Uh, and already we are detecting reduced levels of contamination. I hope your investigation into how Yogg's are on compromise. These living waters will yield answers. Spoilers. Loken's not going to really look into it too hard. He's already probably on the payroll. Uh, in the meantime, we can as, we can be assured that the evolution of another Galacron will not be triggered by consuming unfiltered water. Let's add another tick to the box of why Tyr and or why Loken would want Tyr killed. Tyr figured out how to filter old god corruption out. Yogg-Saron probably doesn't like that. Yogg-Saron probably could go to Loken and be like, "Listen, this is a problem. You're my guy, right?" You're my guy. Go and take care of this problem. We also learn about the uh, controlling side, quote unquote, and I'm putting this in big air quotes. Uh, but once purification is complete, as an additional benefit will be found in offering the infused water to dragon kind by ingesting the water or causing their eggs to absorb its effects. We've seen this. I want to make sure that if you have played during uh, the Northrend, during the, the, the basically the Wrath of the Lich King expansion, when you go to the places where dragon egg clutches are, they're almost always submerged in some form of water. Go back to where the blue dragon flight clutches are. Go back to the, the Ruby dragon, the Ruby sanctum. All the clutches of eggs tend to be sitting in a pool of water. We now know why uh, it should be possible to keep even the most willful dragons aligned with the Titans philosophies. Our efforts to bring the proto dragons in line have faced resistance, but I am formulating a strategy to speed the process along. So basically, we know that they were trying to infuse the power of order into that font, try to get the Titans uh, power sort of uh, parsed out and given to the dragons so that they would be aligned with sort of whatever the Titans aspect was. And we saw that that did work to a certain extent. The other thing that I thought was interesting is uh, as the ancestral nesting grounds for the five flights, the Ruby life pools is a sacred place. The red dragon flight whose charge is to nurture all life, protect these pools and the future of all dragon kind within them. However, Razageth and her primalists have come to steal that future away and infuse their own powers into the sacred pools. They must be stopped for dragon kind to thrive. Remember what we talked about with dragons sort of being like elemental, like sponges uh, or power sponges. This is just further evidence of this. And it shows that Razageth and the primalists may actually know a little bit more about dragon nature at this point than maybe the dragons to themselves or more than what the dragons are telling us. It is. And then uh, the last thing we get in here is that Aldorus is actually the facility uh, above. Like it is where they were infused. Construction of the facility atop the halls of infusion is proceeding apace through though. The station is to be designated Aldorus. I must reluctantly report that the dragons have taken to calling the structure by the name Tearhold. I will do my best to ensure our Titan forged workforce does not also adopt this embarrassing pseudonym, but as of late, they seem to be expressing more and more opinions of their own. Hey, remember when I talked about uh, Titan forged sort of evolving yeah. and having their personalities? Here you go. What happens to be in that infusion center, a font of arcane energy. Oh man. Like the, there's so many parallels here that the, that the watchers just either did not see, including tier or didn't care to see. And I'm going to shut up and let Matt talk a little bit about this. Cause well, I mean, it feeds back to mother's work with the uh, old God essence mm-hmm. in old year. Uh, time and time again, the Titans 
the biggest limitation of the Titans is that they are orderly first and foremost, and they don't do well at jumping to new ideas. Like would they have this thing they're going to do and they're going to keep doing it uh, until it works, whether or not it makes sense, whether or not it is actually the problem with wanting too much control over situations is that you become rigid and unable to respond to new circumstances. And we see this with the Titans, which is why Tyr wanted the dragon flights in the first place. Um, the, the letter he's sending to, to Loken, I think in part was before he understood that Loken was not, you know, right. He was talking to Loken as an ally, a friend, a, a companion. We know that the Titan forged could be friends with each other. The keepers clearly tier views Aranaya and Arcadis as friends as the next set of letters will confirm because he writes to them. Uh, let me see if I can find that letter. Do, do, do. Come on, come on, find it, find it. There's, you know, the, the letter in, in particular from Tyr to Arcadis and Aranaya basically says, guys, if you get this, I'm dead. And if I'm dead, that not everything is lost. Um, I'm leaving behind this disc and it's got my memories in it. Uh, it, it you, you'll know where to find it. It implies that they went to Aldemon to get the disc. Well, we know we know that the disc that we're sent to receive doing the dungeon is mm -hmm. that disc. It is that's what oh, we yeah. are sent to get. But it implies that Arcadis and Aranaya went there in the first place to get it, mm -hmm. and then couldn't get in because they needed something that Tyr left with the dragons, which they never got because the dragons were not, they did not know how to contact them or something, whatever the, the device they left with the dragons, I believe it's the thing that, you know, you'll be using to get in. But interesting. The most interesting about this is basically he had stuff that, that neither nobody else knew about the whole process, including the other watchers, including, you know, including Arcadis and Aranaya, including Loken, when he wrote that letter to Loken, he did not include this information. Whatever was going on with Tyr is in the disc that is that we we go to Alduar to get, but don't get. Which, Sorry for another spoiler, guys. We don't get the disc. Yeah, there, there's a whole thing there with the Infinite Dragon Flight because we can't, you know, we can never be done with them. The the interesting thing though is that it paints Tyr in an interesting perspective that might be something more than we've gotten from other watchers, right? We've known, or we've seen sort of an evolution similar in the Titan forged in the watchers themselves. Let's be perfectly honest. Look at Raden, right? Or Thorum. Or Thorum. Look at, look at how emotional they became. Look at what, how Thorum was manipulated by the vision of his dead wife. Uh, look how, uh, Loken was swayed into the uh, clutches of an old god, probably with promises of power and importance. Um, I don't know if we know the actual mechanism by which the final hook was was baited, but he had something that the old god was able to tug on. Odin is full of hubris, and he is he he thinks he knows best, and it's not necessarily that same. Yeah, but also, you, since you're talking about it, not just that he's filled with hubris, defying Odin drives him mad. Yes, like you defy Odin, and he will possibly murder you and raise you as a as a, a Valkyr, or send you to he did. or potentially send you to a prison island if that's what that prison island was for. Yeah, there's there's lots of the all of them became more emotional, and we don't know. One of the possibilities is that when the Titans died and their essences came to Azeroth and inhabited the Keepers. They're obviously they didn't stay in the keepers, mm -hmm. but the Titans are a lot less orderly than they like to pretend they are for all that 
order, and I keep making finger quotes like you guys can see me, but hopefully I'm saying finger quoting enough. For all that order that they supposedly manifest and maintain, look at them. Look at Sargeras. Sargeras, while trying to do the Titans' work, became convinced it was impossible. And he despaired. He despaired. He, he got emotional about it. Agrimar, wandering the universe looking for him, wasn't looking for Sargeras because anyone told him to. He was looking for Sargeras because he missed his friend. Yeah. If you look at what Tyr says in the letter to Arcadus and Arania, he calls them like my dearest friends. Yeah, and that's that's the interesting thing too, is like at the end that's what I'm trying to get at is maybe at the end of this and everybody's like, Oh, I've been seeing a lot of this. The Titan watchers were bad and they were brainwashing everybody and blah blah blah. What if Tyr wasn't? What if Tyr already had su- like suspicions on Loken and already didn't like uh, on Loken and didn't like Odin? Knew that Odin. Well, was, we know he didn't like Odin. <laughs> he knew he knew that Odin was a pompous sack of of bleep, right? Yeah, he, that, there's no there's no disguising the fact that he disagrees with Odin in his letter to Loken. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, the idea is a lot of the mechanisms, a lot of things that were set up. I don't think he was trying to brain control anybody. If anything, I think this might sort of kind of skew closer towards what we think we know about Tyr being true, which is he was more on the side of the races of Azeroth than he was on the side of the Titans, if that makes sense. He, but that doesn't change the fact that he is a Titan forged. He is a Titan That keeper. evolves, yes. Yeah, and so he still thinks like a creation of the Titans. Order is good. It's good to be infused with order. It will give them... You know, it'll it'll help them align with what the Titans want, which is ultimately good for everything as far as I'm concerned. The problem with Loken isn't that Loken is chaotic. The problem with Loken is that Loken is serving the old gods. Mm-hmm. Chaos, maybe you can come up with a way to make chaos work because life isn't necessarily a bad thing. But the old gods are parasites. That's the problem the Titans have with them. They're parasitic. They don't provide anything. They take, they don't make you chaotic. They take order from you. And that's the, the, that's not, not saying that's accurate. I'm saying that's the mindset. Yeah. So infusing the, the uh, dragon eggs with, with the, the magical water of order magic, it's could be bad. Like, and, and from our perspective, it does sound like what, but from his perspective, the night elves were infused by the magical power of Azeroth and they weren't controlled by anybody it's not necessary it will keep them in line with our philosophies not that it will make them our slaves and i think think that's an important distinction yeah absolutely but as as we got like here i'm going to read the uh, letter to my staunchest allies Uh, i'm going to read it just so you guys get to hear this he opens it with my noble friends Forgive me for keeping secrets, but I instructed Sentinel Talandris to withhold this message until you had safely reached your destination. If you are reading this, then our worst fears have been realized. I have fallen to our foes, murdered on the orders of the treacherous Loken. But fear not, for I have prepared for this dark eventuality. Along with the discs of Nerganon that you can you carry, I have hidden another disc that holds a record of my own memories. Talandras will ensure it is safeguarded within the depths of Oldman until such time as it can be safely retrieved. I have fashioned the, ref- the Refti to be unquestioningly loyal to me. Before departing Valdraken, I left a gift in the care of the dragon aspects. 
Though they are unaware of its true purpose, the artifact can be used within the halls of Eldorus to outwit Loken's malignant schemes. When it is safe to do so, bring my memory disc back to Eldorus and retrieve the item I gave to the Aspects. You will know what to do next. Dearest Aranaya and most noble Arcadus, I place my trust in you. When we stand together, nothing can overcome our unity. Yours always, Tear. So, yeah, this does not sound like evil mind-controlling guy. No. But it, it also, also definitely sounds like a titan forged. Oh, yeah, no, it absolutely does. But, I mean, it's interesting, though, too, because it also leads us to think about what they need, like you talked about earlier. What did the dragons have in their possession? Was it the, the Hand of Tear? Is that what, what, what was necessary to unlock his personal memories? Uh, there's a lot of interesting tidbits in these books. Also, the th- other thing to consider as well is Uldaman is far vaster even than what we've seen in the old dungeon and the new dungeon. There yep. are corridors and doors that shoot off in all directions. I would be absolutely surprised if we don't get more forays into there. Yeah, the, the, the possibility of a potential raid in there is pretty high. Mm-hmm. And also, for that matter, I mean, Eldorus and Oldaman and Olduar and all of them are bigger than we've seen. Olduar is massive to the point where you get on a train at one point and you don't even know how far you go. And you end up in some place of that's still part of Oldaman. Like, the, the, the whole place is really effing big. Um, they're all really effing big. A look at the fact that there's a Titan facility that reaches Uldir all the way to um, the, the main city of Xandalar. I want to say Xandalar City, but that's not its name. The, the, the city that you go to when you are Xandalar. Zuldazar, yeah. Zuldazar over to Uldir, over into the deserts where there's multiple Titan facilities. That's all considered one facility. Yeah. That's one. That's all Uldir. The place we go to when we go to Uldir is just the labs of Uldir. This whole area was Uldir. Just like the um, the Uldum facility reached all the way over into what is now on Karaj. It was all one big Titan facility. These these places are massive. Uh, so there's there's a ton of possibility for what we might see in you know, in Tearhold slash Uldorus. Um, I'm personally looking forward to that a lot. I do think that it's it's worth keeping in mind always that the Titan Forged and the Titans do not think like we do. Then I think Joe's made a really good point of it. These are beings who do not think like us. Mm-hmm. They do not. And one of the interesting things, though, is that they can come to think like us. And that makes you wonder: Can old gods and old cod beings? come to be like us yeah so this is and that's the thing about the letter the achievements of the black empire and why we can't talk about them were they changing yeah and i think that's i think that's one of the biggest like i don't want to say like swords hanging over this whole thing but it's it's interesting i i've talked about where i feel like azroth is specifically the center of the multiverse it is the center of the planar cosmology for a reason it's where Every single plane of existence that was carved out by the first ones or the the proto creators of the universe, whatever you want to talk about, carved out uh, existence. We know that now. We know that there are all these different planes that were created with specific purposes in mind. Um, we know that there is uh, Zareth Ordos. We know that there are, like Matt predicted, there's going to be probably a Zareth something uh, at each one of these planar locations. Uh, we're getting slow confirmation of that, but why is Azeroth different than every other planet that was ordered? 
Why is Azeroth different than the other Titans and souls that have existed prior to this? Why is it so important? Why is everybody so obsessed with Azeroth? Yes, the storytelling aspect of it being that it's our planet, not putting us at the center of the story is a thing, but making that have value is a difficult and interesting prospect. If it's because this is where everything touches, why Fell can exist without completely destroying the planet, because we've seen that that the infection of Fell that we've had on other planets would have wreaked far more havoc than it already did. We have beings on our planet that are capable of harnessing Fell and not be completely corrupted by it. We have beings that can harness Void and Shadow and not be completely consumed by it. We have beings that can channel the light and cannot be completely consumed by that either, which is a thing that does happen. We've seen it. We've seen all of the elemental planes that we can touch and, and communicate with and manipulate in a way that nobody else has been able to do. It is interesting because at the center of all that, everything seems to shape and change. And Matt brought this up. Uh, I want to say it, it's been months ago at this point where the creations of Azeroth were made from Azeroth itself. This includes the Watchers, by the way. The Titanic Watchers were created from the material of Azeroth. One of the things that Disco and Organa first say. Yeah, the, the real Disco and Organa. Um, a common held belief, right? We know this, and we, we've seen evidence of this and proof of this multiple times. Because of that, they tend to, we tend to, veer probably closer to whatever Azeroth's alignment is. But if Azeroth is everything... And going back to the other things where Tyr says it'll hold true to, like with the dragon aspects, to the, the Titans' intentions, he didn't say which Titans. He didn't specify which intentions. What if it was all to try to get everything to be extensions of Azeroth because he finally understood that that's what everything was going towards? That at the end of this, the Watchers, even the Old Gods, are so influenced by being on yeah, that's Azeroth. Actually, that's like something, yeah, I want to jump in on that. Please. Because the, the old gods hit Azeroth, they impacted into it, and began spawning. The materials that they were using are coming from Azeroth. Yep. Every Naraki, every, you know, every Akir, these are created from Azeroth. The Curse of Flesh that they used, it just turns the Titan Forged into organic beings like the ones that evolved on Azeroth. Mm-hmm. It makes them more like Azeroth. They're using Azeroth, changing Azeroth, and being changed by it because their servants are, are for that matter, when they hit the planet, we don't know what form they took, what they are. Yep. Are they big fleshy masses or are they just big void bulbs that create a body out of the planet? We don't know, but it seems possible that that's the case. And if that's the case, one of the most interesting creatures in existence is the Naru who have a light cycle and a void cycle and change between the two. Is it possible that the light and the void, we're told that the light and the void exist because of the creation of the cosmos. And it might very well be that, but is it possible that they're more alike than they want to admit that they can move towards each other? I mean, we've seen a demon that could become part of the light and turned out to actually not even be a demon, but maybe from the realm of death, like, what does that mean? So there's there's a lot of possibility here for these forces are all supposed to be in balance. We've we've heard that repeatedly now. We're definitely seeing that in in the stuff that's been reserved that's been revealed about the first ones. But we don't know what that balance looks like, and if ultimately and we, we don't know what its purpose was. Yeah, because the jailer seemed really convinced 
that something was coming and he needed to do what he was doing to, to deal with it. But the first ones may very well have been planning from the beginning to deal with it. And this might be how Azeroth, Azeroth as a place seems to be at the center of, of not just, you know, the cosmos physically, but of these forces. Yeah. These Zereths all seem to connect what, to it in some way. What would be the ultimate, the ultimate tool or ultimate weapon against something that wants to unmake all existence? Something that is comprised of all elements of existence. Everything working in concert. Basically, I'm going to start referring to Azeroth as Captain Planet of the Titans because essentially it's kind of what it is. Let's not just <laughs> of the Titans; it's the Captain Planet of all these of forces. The, yeah, it might very well even it even includes death within it. That's true. It's one of them that actually understands that it can die. So yeah, it's also I, I, it's also one that has the direct the direct link to uh, Zareth Mortis, mm-hmm. and very well might be direct links to all of them. You know, the, the Will of Eternity might very well have been a direct link to something. And we still have one more old facility that we don't know yet either, too. Like we yeah, now we Aldaz. know of Aldaz, but we have Aldaz. Aldaz could be uh, on Av- Avalorn. We don't know uh, Avalorn. It could be there. It could be somewhere else. But there's yet another facility. Where does that link to? Where does that exist? There's a lot here. And it's really, really because uh, we we're running out of time. I have been more impressed with the little lore tidbits that have been confirmed and the little breadcrumbs that are being laid out just from a simple five man dungeon uh, than I have in a long time. And who would have thought little clickable books that exist on tables, under chairs, in corners, on bookshelves, there are actually bookshelves in, in Alamon. If you ever read the, if you ever ran the original Scarlet Monastery back in the day, this is what that felt like. Yeah. Because there were books all over the effing place, and those books were like, hey, tidbit about the entirety of the Scourge that you've never thought about before. And that's what these are like. Um, there's just so many of these. It's it's making me excited to see what we're going to uncover when we go into Aldorus, because we're going to be going into Aldorus. Let's be perfectly clear about that. I would be very surprised if at some point we're not going and trying to find the font, uh, because if that's not part of kickstarting the dragon flights again with the aspects where Alex Strasser literally says it's time for us to become aspects again. Again, shocked. I, I shocked Pikachu gif insert here. Um, but yeah, I think that's going to do it though. Unless there's anything else you want to add before we call it. I mean, again, we could be doing this for like a day and a half. Um, I do think I want to make the point too, that I don't want to d- minimize the fact that this does come off as creepy oh, yeah. from our mortal perspective. Yes. I don't want to be sound like I'm a Titan apologist. I want people to understand that the Titans have always been creepy yes they have because they are alien beings of vast cosmic power who are nothing like us that do not think about us it's like imagine how your eyelash mites think about you and that's the only like comparison i can come up with so yeah even if Tyr was more sympathetic than than we think he would have not written a letter to loken about it he would have known okay I barely got these people on my side when I did the, when I proposed the aspects, I cannot tell him that these things will still be free to fight us. If we, if they decide they have to, Mm -hmm. that would not work. Um, And again, if he was suspicious of, of Loken, as Joe pointed out, it would have been perfectly reasonable for him to be suspicious of Loken because Loken is sitting going, Oh yeah. What's the deal with that place you got going there? And he's like, the place that had an old god corruption that the old god shouldn't have even known about that place. Yeah, okay, I'll give you a report. You know, that's 
And he was already, he, and he already didn't want, like Odin, and he already knew Odin was against the dragon aspects to begin with. Yeah, o- and Odin he, was he argues very vocal Odin, about it. Yeah, he argues against Odin very, very strongly. And it's just there's so much here. So yeah, yeah I, that's all I would. There's there's a ton more. We're probably going to be revisiting this. Don't worry, folks. We have more that we're going to pull on from this in future episodes. Uh, for now, Blizzard Watch is made possible due to the generous contributions of patreon.com slash Blizzard Watch. Your continued support means this podcast signing community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters is going to benefits like early access to the podcast, better chance of having your question answered on a podcast or the queue and an ads free site experience. Uh, again, if you have questions for this podcast or any of our podcasts, be sure to send them into podcast at blizzardwatch.com. Specify the show that they're for, or you can go ahead and send them in on one of our many various Discord channels. Uh, again, thank you very much, folks. We'll see you next week. Chaz Elgar.